0: Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 14. Coming to you from our world headquarters in San Francisco, welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. I'm Ronnie Kerr. All right, so we took the show on the road. All right. Yeah, and it was not just me, because we have this digital recorder, and so... uh, We were recently in New York City, and uh, Ronnie and I went up to uh, Midtown to visit with Megan Lenhart, who's the senior editor of WealthManagement.com and Rep Magazine, and it was kind of, it was fun to turn the tables a little bit, because these people at these magazines, at these publications, they're usually interviewing us, and so it was really fun to kind of have a conversation and, and interview you know, that's her. a that's a that's a
1: interesting take. I mean, I used to be a journalist interviewing people at startups and now I'm at a startup engaging with journalists and answering their questions, and then we took the podcast on the road and now we're asking the journalist ah, the, the quit.
0: <laughs> nah. You know, and that's what it felt like. But it was a really interesting take because I figure, you know, she is, you know, out there in the field just as we are and going to the same conferences yep. we are. And so it was kind of like what is her lens? And she had a very rich background when it comes to journalism as well as the legal profession and compliance. So she understood these worlds. It was a really valuable conversation. Yeah. Um, so it was also fun to just take it on the road because we got to visit with her office. Yep. She shared with us the November issue. We sat down, we had a brief conversation, covered the gamut, if you will, of financial social media, um, trying to understand it from her world. And, and the well, what I found, uh, I'm not going to say interesting, I want to say fascinating in this case, is <laughs> the fact that you know, they're looking at the fact that they, uh, how much the business has changed. Because I hadn't realized that wealthmanagement.com or I guess you could say Rep Magazine, the publication, had been around for 30 plus years. Mm. So you know, she'll talk a little bit about how going she went through the archives and she can pull out stories and, uh, and how much the world has changed yep. in the last 30 years yep. in the adoption of uh, digital communications. So with that, we bring to you the interview with uh, Meg Lenhart of uh, WealthManagement.com and Rep Magazine. All right, so we're sitting in Midtown in New York City. Ronnie, we've taken it the show on the road. Here we are. And we're uh, sitting here in the offices of uh, WealthManagement.com and Rep Magazine with Meg Lenhart, who is a senior, or an editor, right? Senior, I'm not sure, senior? Senior editor. Senior editor. And uh, someone that we've established a relationship with just because you do write very much to the same audiences that we serve. So we want to thank you for your time today. Uh, But we really wanted to spend a little time just getting to know you, getting to know about the content that wealthmanagement.com and Rep Magazine writes. And then I'd love to get your thoughts on social media. So why don't we kick off just by finding out a little bit more about yourself and your background.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. It's very exciting. Uh, I guess to start my background, I came right out of school, out of journalism school, so I am, you know, a a trained journalist, I didn't come at this from any angle, you know, started with the the high school, you know, newspaper and then graduated up, but I actually started in legal journalism. So I I did cover, you know, the courts and the legal cases Mm -hmm. for a startup company, Law360, And then from there was, you know, really intrigued by the sort of regulatory legal and compliance landscape within the financial services industry. So that's sort of where I came at it from, and then from there have just sort of covered a lot of the industry now. I, I do, you know, still focus on the regulatory, legal, and compliance, but I also do a lot with the wirehouses now. Um, and that's a terrible term, but we still <laughs> have it. So, you know, certainly Wells Fargo and you know those folks, Raymond James, Ed Jones, uh, as well as just you know some of the RIA space as well, because of course that's just a huge part of our industry today.
0: Mm-hmm. And how long have you been with? So management? I've
2: been with uh, wealth management now for about two years. So mm-hmm. you know, learned a lot. As I said, didn't necessarily come in with that financial background. So there was a bit of a learning curve. But uh, thankfully, I, I had a lot of folks rooting for me and <laughs> uh, a lot of help along the way. So that's that's great. Plus, I mean, you have
0: the strong writing background. A strong
2: then, writing background so. definitely helpful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you and can.
0: You got the legal compliance kind of background. Yeah, so. as a
2: journalist, you learn to you know have a little bit of knowledge in a lot of things. So. Exactly. Right. It's, it's a it's a good field for that and I, I pick up things rather easily so it's good mm-hmm. knock on wood
0: well as a former advisor I me, mean, I was very familiar with wealthmanagement.com. I was also a subscriber of rep magazine so I'd receive it and kind of flip through it and read it and you know the idea of, of grasping you know the wide breadth of different conversations if you will and subjects that you have to cover um, what but for those who may not be as familiar or our subscribers what is the audience that you typically serve?
2: So we serve financial advisors wherever they sit. I think mm-hmm. traditionally we were a wirehouse magazine. I think that's sort of where we started. That's where a lot of the industry started actually I believe the, the publication is over 30 years old. We've been doing a lot of Throwback Thursday galleries and content now. Nice. And I've been really fortunate to be able to dig through the archives mm-hmm. and pull out those you know, 1977 registered representative magazines, which is fantastic. And things have changed so much from then. You know, We were talking about then you know, what the latest technology was, and we weren't even at computers at that point. So mm-hmm. it was really, really interesting you know how people have really evolved and evolved quickly. I mean, these these advisors have had to pick up so much over the years. But so we cover, you know, of course, the traditional brokerage firms. We also cover about, you know, our content is split about a third, a third, a third. So we cover about a third of the industry for your national brokerage firms. We cover the, you know, independent broker-dealer space, and then we cover the RIA space, and we try to give about equal weight to all of them in, mm-hmm. anymore, because they really are distinct channels, and there's a lot of overlap, but there's also, you know, sort of the regulatory separation and the fiduciary issues and things that come into play there. So, you know, we we try to cover, as I said, advisors wherever they sit today, mm-hmm. but really coming at it from the financial advisor background. You know, we don't necessarily write for the consumer, mm-hmm. so there is sort of that differentiation that we have to make from your, you know, mainstream publications who may be covering that personal finance aspect. We understand that advisors, hopefully, understand the finance aspect Mm -hmm. of this industry. So we don't necessarily delve into a lot of those issues.
0: Right. Is it, I mean, very specialized audience, very specific groups out there? I mean, I, I remember that for me, it's very easy for you to be caught up in your firm and only hearing about your firm and what you're doing and so I would look at a publication like Rep Magazine or Wealth Management just to stay abreast of what's happening in the industry in general and what others are doing. Yeah. And so all, even when you would look at these evaluations and you start stacking, you know, the <laughs> top wirehouse or the top RIAs or the right. top. And you look at that, and you, you know, almost as a benchmark to see where you stack up. Yeah. Um, so how do you um, come up with the content? I mean, what, does the content come to you or do you create the content and go looking for stories. Uh? We
2: go about it a couple different ways. We get out of the office a lot. We're very fortunate in this industry that there are so many in-person events that advisors do actually attend. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of industries have moved away from that, but financial services is still really big and you know have a lot of conferences. So we do go out and we talk to advisors. And we you know one of the biggest questions that I ask after every single interview that I do is. What trends are you seeing? Mm. How are, you know, how's your business changing? What are you doing that you think is different from everyone else? Mm. And those cover a lot of areas. In fact, you know, some of the best stories that I've written have come out of those kind of questions. But then we are also, you know, very active on social media. So we're constantly have Twitter up during the day and, you know, see breaking news as it happens, but also, you know, sort of see people's comments to breaking news. Sometimes that's more interesting than the news Mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. You know, how, you know, are people reacting and why? why are they reacting that way? So, you know, and then, of course, there's sort of evergreen topics that, you know, honestly, we can do a thousand stories on, and there's a thousand different ways to tell it. Certainly succession planning, you know, how to run your business, how to, you know, run your firm like a business, how to, you know, get the most out of, you know, client satisfaction. There's so many topics that, quite frankly, you can come at from a million different angles. So, you know, that's sort of how things, the the genesis process, as it were.
1: And so we have Rep Magazine actually, in front of us right now how how do you determine what goes into the print edition and what goes onto wealthmanagement.com
2: we do actually have um, an editorial calendar so Mm -hmm. we put it out every year in fact we just put out our our 2015 calendar and that sort of generalizes what goes into the magazine in terms of features and some of the regular columns things of that nature but then you know we we sort of have some trend pieces that we know are on the horizon we have special supplements like for example in the november issue we have the independent life we do that on a, a fairly yearly Basis, and then we have a little bit of leeway. <laughs> so right. stories that you know may have gone up online. We're a digital-first company, so most of the content actually goes up on the website before you see it in print. It may be hours, but <laughs> we do get it up usually before <laughs> it goes into print and then you know we sit there and sort of look at you know stories that we think are very very strong mm-hmm. either editorially they just have really good stories behind them they're really interesting advisors yeah. they're doing something different so you know that sort of generates to what goes into the magazine
0: mm-hmm. You know, playing off of Ronnie's question before, is there content that seems to play better online than it does in the actual magazine, or do you evaluate that?
2: You know, I think that you know we do a reader survey, and quite frankly, the things that play well in the in print generally do transcend and play well online, and vice versa. I mm-hmm. think uh, we do usually an advisor ranking almost on a monthly basis. That just plays very well in both audience, as you pointed out before, Victor. Everyone wants to sort of benchmark themselves against their peers, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of the names that we find are, are doing very, very well and do well year over year are the names that are very familiar to you know everyone within the industry, and so people want to know how are their how's their business changing, what are they doing, and you know, so it's interesting. Those play very well across all spectrums. Um, there's a few things in the magazine that play a little bit better. I do a blotter report, and so mm-hmm. it's sort of the the cops and robbers, you know, who's, who's getting in trouble and why. And, uh, you know, it plays really well in the magazine. We always get, it gets really high marks in the magazine, but online, because there's so much of it, mm-hmm. it doesn't do as well in traffic. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those, you know, that's a bit of a bummer, but maybe I just need to get snarkier.
0: <laughs> well, I want to turn our attention towards social media, because obviously that's that's a subject that's very much Definitely. of interest to us at Hearsay Social, but I'm very interested in your take as senior editor insofar as your take on the field, uh, adoption, uh, social media use. So what are your thoughts on social media and financial services?
2: Well, I think it's interesting. There's so many surveys out there. In fact, we just completed one for our advisor benchmarking survey that talked about so many aspects of the advisor business, but certainly social media is one of the marketing and sort of communication tools that advisors are using and you know i think most people will say that about 50 percent of advisors are using social media and using social media and actually actively engaging on social media are two completely different topics Mm -hmm. but it's interesting that more people are not and i understand that's you know comes at it from a demographic point of view also if you're running a business it's very difficult to dedicate time away from your day to doing this but as a reporter I love social media as i said you know twitter is up constantly streaming on my desktop all day long and in fact so many of the sources that i'm coming across these days are not sources that are being, being geared or given to me with their pr firms or even you know having to, for me to reach out it's things that i'm seeing on social if it's a linkedin post if it's you know just as i said a single tweet that i thought wow that's an interesting take i hadn't necessarily thought about that before Socials increasingly important not only as a communication tool for your clients, but your exposure as an advisor.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Do you, um, you know, outside of compliance, because that typically is one of the main, you know, roadblocks for for advisors or people in the financial community. To start embracing social, what other challenges do you think there are out there that are really keeping people from from moving forward?
2: I think I hear a lot from advisors that they don't necessarily know how to measure its effectiveness, mm-hmm. and that is that is an, you know a big issue. If you spend you know, gosh, ten hours a week on social media, you are really engaged. You're very involved. That doesn't necessarily amount to specific client intake or that doesn't necessarily generate things right off the bat and I think sort of that you know wait and see how things go can be really difficult for advisors to really sit there and say yes I'm going to devote myself to social media and hope that mm-hmm. you know I get real returns from it mm-hmm. that's a that's a tricky uphill battle and quite frankly you know especially if you're not particularly enamored with the medium to begin with it, it's, it's definitely one of those cost-benefit analysis you need to make for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, and a lot of it plays in through the content, I think, the Absolutely. content, how good the content is, and you know, from your perspective, being a content provider, um, how do you evaluate the content that you are sharing, and, and does it help, like, based on the engagement levels, does that help drive the type of content you're going to continue producing?
2: Yes and no. I think, as I said, social media is difficult to really measure. We do, of course, run all the analytics you could possibly imagine (laughs) on how we're doing on social media. I know from my perspective, I sit there and look at, you know, what would I prefer to see on social media? And of course, you know, I I send out all my stories and, you know, hey, check this out. But I've also started doing on Friday afternoons, usually Friday afternoon, sending out just a funny financial comic. And quite frankly, a lot of people both have, you know, private messaged me, retweeted it, whatever, saying, this is great, this is really funny, I enjoy this. You know, this is a great way to sort of break up my Friday, I'm on Twitter, this is this is fun. Mm-hmm. So I think you've got a balance between actually engaging content that's educational, but also providing some kind of entertainment. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the third piece of that is sort of having that unique voice. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, not everyone has a unique voice. I know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the funniest, or smartest, or or, you know you know whatever in the room so it helps when you can sit there and have that but if you don't hey that's not a big deal just make sure you can sit there and you know try to provide content that you would find interesting I think that's the key you know if, if you don't find it interesting chances are other people aren't gonna find it interesting either
0: totally totally. Well, we had a, a podcast earlier with Pat Hume of, of Trap It And uh, what we call is the four E's. I think it was a term that came up by Denise Wakeman, who's a blogger. And she said that content needs to either enrich, engage, educate, or entertain. And as long as it does one of the four E's, then it's good content. But it's so interesting because it's that blurred lines. And I think a lot of advisors and people in financial services are challenged between... Almost seeking permission, like is it okay for me to be funny and entertaining? And we always encourage it because it's like it's who you are, it's your personality. Right. So you're trying to find that right mix between professional content versus more personal content that makes you a person, really.
2: Right. I, I think the uh, the rule of thumb I've see I see I've seen it somewhere. But it was that you don't want to put anything out there that you wouldn't want your mother to read. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I you know, get, get <laughs> no. too snarky or I sit there and have something that I think is maybe funny but it might be a little off color, I pause, I take 10 seconds, and if, if my mother would be okay with it, then I put it out there. Mm-hmm. And she's she's a pretty, you know, conservative individual. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, I have to pull back. Yeah. But I think it's important to realize that once something's out there and you release it to the world, you can delete it. But... Unfortunately, there's a lot of tracking mechanisms and whatnot now that once it's out there, it's out there. And mm-hmm. I think celebrities have learned that the, oh, yeah. the unfortunate way, but I think people within our own industry have learned that the hard way as well. So sure. your reputation is all you have on social media. And once you start tarnishing it from you know, just silly mistakes, it's hard to get that back.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, one question we get a lot, and I'm kind of curious on your take on this is we often get asked, who do we think out in the field is, is doing social well? like in financial services, who's who's really engaging, who seems to kind of get it at a both at a brand level but even down to let's say the individual field level. So from your perspective, do you are there any organizations that you think are doing it right right or at least moving in the right direction?
2: Well, I think there's a difference between an individual brand and mm-hmm. a firm brand. In fact, we've actually done a social media ranking which is fun and it was a lot of lot of math on our part to make Mm -hmm. sure that we were doing everything correct we actually went through and tabulated you know twitter followers twitter scores through cred that organization Mm -hmm. that will measure you know the entire dynamic of twitter but we also went through looked at linkedin followers and facebook file you know likes facebook likes Mm -hmm. and really tabulated things through those metrics. We did it both on the national brokerage level and then we did it more on the independent broker dealer side and this was earlier in the year. Unfortunately, the RA landscape is that what it is, it's, it's just trickier to do it's it for that. It's hard
0: to track that. It's
2: hard to track that. We are still in the process of trying to yeah. find some way to, to do more with that. But so we looked at it from a firm level, not necessarily the individual level. So I I think I'll go Mm -hmm. with that part of the question first. And Mm -hmm. there was some interesting figures and what we found there. Wells Fargo actually did very well in the survey that we put together in the ranking but they're also doing some unique things they're very involved on facebook which is kind of interesting from our industry we see everyone on linkedin and of course everyone is on linkedin mm-hmm. in some capacity but they're really involved on facebook and that really carried a lot of weight with you know their results there as a brand level you know there's certain firms that are very involved on or on Twitter, excuse me, and that's kind of interesting. So it's it's odd to see where people are are really creating their stamp. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be on every platform, but really having a concentrated effort somewhere is is you know kind of an interesting strategy. There are certain firms who are not on Facebook at all. Mm-hmm. They don't have a Facebook page. They haven't even you know set anything up. They're focused on Twitter. They're focused on you know LinkedIn. And maybe other areas. We've seen a lot of firms that have gone out and done things on YouTube, you know, created sort of brand pages there, which is an interesting medium to really focus on in our industry. So mm-hmm. on a brand level, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to see where and how people are really shaping up. And it doesn't mean you have to be a big firm to do that. On an individual level, I think, you know, there's the certain couple of people that are in our industry that really get out and really are active. And I'm talking 25 to 50 posts, you know, on Twitter a day. They're very active on LinkedIn. And I think that's an interesting area. Those LinkedIn experts or I don't remember what they're called. Influencers. Yes. Thank you. Those are kind of an interesting way to go about it. Sally Krawcheck is fascinating in this area. She is huge on LinkedIn. She's got her own personal brand in this industry to begin with, but I really think being a LinkedIn influencer has just expanded that to a whole new audience and really made it so that she's very accessible. She creates this unique profile. She has a unique voice that she speaks from, and she's coming at it with a very candid point of view, which is very appreciated, I think, in, in our business Mm -hmm. when people don't necessarily (laughs) aren't always the most candid when they're, you know, with the camera pointed to them. So I think that's great. I think she's a great example of how to utilize multiple platforms and really get her message across. It's singular, it's always consistent, and she makes sure that she does it in a way that is both approachable and you know, really unique. She makes herself a really cool niche in our industry. I really appreciate that, especially because she's talking about women, so it, it <laughs> resonates well with me. We're, yeah,
1: we're big
0: fans of Sally. <laughs> yeah, we are big fans of Sally. <laughs> well, um,
2: and so where do you
0: see this going next? You know, as far as future trends as it relates to uh, financial services, and so far as you're in a very unique position to see and talk to so many thought leaders, right? And kind of track trends. Where do you think uh, we're moving forward in digital communications?
2: Well, it's interesting. I just did a piece and I was talking with so many social media experts, including you, Victor. And <laughs> <Thank> uh, you. <laughs> we, we did have a lot of discussions on where things are going. And it was kind of interesting because I think one of the uh, individuals brought up a good point, that we're sort of in a transition period for our industry. And it's OK to make mistakes now. Mm-hmm. The public will forgive you for mm-hmm. not being an expert in Twitter or social media media in general, but I think that that's slowly coming to an end. Mm -hmm. And five years from now, it might not be so acceptable if you are not on these platforms, and if you're not savvy on these platforms. That's not to say that you have to be everywhere at at any given moment, or that you need to take time away from the important aspects of your business to really do this. But if you don't have a digital presence, it's going to be very hard for clients to find you, to Mm -hmm. engage with you, to interact. And eventually you are going to see some drop off and fall off from your actual business. So it's not that these should be taken at a complete separation of I'm working with clients and I'm on social media. It should be I'm working with clients on social media. Mm-hmm. So I think that's you know where we're going with that.
1: That's, that's great, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and, and you guys are definitely practicing what you, what you preach. I mean, you're a digital-first organization, as you said, so awesome. We try. Awesome.
0: Well, we want to thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so and, much. And uh, we'll make sure to in the show notes and on the blog post that accompanies the podcast to include your Twitter handle. But what is what is your Twitter handle if you don't mind people knowing and following it's, you?
2: It's at Megan, M-E-G-A-N, underscore Lenhart, my last name, L E O N H A R D T. So nice and easy.
0: Well, thanks for your time. Great. Thank you.
2: Thanks so much for having me, guys. And you're welcome.
0: So, I don't have to tell you, Ronnie, because you were actually there. What a great interview that was, right? I loved it. Yeah, it was fun. I'd love to. I think we should take the show more on the road. You know, maybe get a bus and just head east and just visit with everybody victor's staring
1: into, the, staring distance. into the distance right first now. person to tweet with the hashtag hs on air with their city yeah let's go there we'll get the bus and we'll head out
0: there <laughs> now nah, it was it was a lot of fun and you know what i found fascinating was how meg talked about how much she loves social media as a reporter and how they're using it almost as a source too to get information and and track trends you know, about what people are saying in this space.
1: I mean, it comes easy in that space. I I mentioned I I was a journalist before I came to Hearsay Social, and I mean, you're a content creator, and you end up being a content curator, so, I mean, it's really easy to sign up for Twitter and some other sites and and use that as platforms to distribute your content.
0: Yeah, the communication, and and the thing is that, once again, what really helped create, and I say this all the time, but what really created this opportunity of us getting together is we knew we were going to be in New York, and, uh, and she had reached out to me uh, to get some uh, quotes, if you will, just my perspective on a story that she was writing and kind of just used that as an opportunity and said, Hey, look, um, we're doing this podcast. I'd love to talk to you based on mm-hmm. your experience, and I'm going to be in New York. And so we made it happen. And so hopefully we can continue doing that. So if you're out there, as we start, uh, we should probably start listing our travel itinerary. We're going to be here and here and here. <laughs> and then uh, if we happen to be in your town, just... Uh, We'll bring the digital recorder and we're there and start firing up that bus. So we really appreciated the opportunity to sit down with uh, Megan. And uh, we look forward to continuing those conversations with her both online and also uh, in the publications that they're writing. So they're doing a great job.
1: Yep. Follow them on Twitter. Follow Megan on Twitter. They're great resources.
0: So we hope you enjoyed our interview with Megan Linhart of WealthManagement.com and Rent Magazine. Uh, Coming up in future episodes, we're going to continue our Employee Spotlight Series with an interview with Garland Trice, who's part of our engineering group. It'll be a fun one. And then we're uh, going to cross the border up to Canada and interview our good friend Jay Palter, uh, who is uh, doing some great stuff up there, helping clients you know, understand the value of social and such. So those are the uh, upcoming shows that we've got coming up. And we wanted to thank you all for listening and also to remind you to please continue asking questions, add some comments, and if you can, please add a review in iTunes or Stitcher. Um, you can always follow us on HS On Air. But once again, I'm Victor Gaxiolo. I'm Ronnie Kerr. Thanks for listening.